Welcome to episode 1004 of The Sleeper and the Bust. I'm Justin Mason, joined as always on Sunday by Jason Collette. Jason, how you doing? Uh, I have cleared COVID protocols enough to get on this podcast and record today. That's that's the highlight of my week. Uh, <laughs> it's been rough. Uh, I have a whole new appreciation of these athletes that uh, get COVID, and then we're like, "Why it's you know why can't why are they struggling?" Oh, it, this is day five for me. Uh, I don't, and I have a whole new appreciation uh, of what some of these folks are going through because. Uh, this is my this is the, the highest amount of energy I've had in five days, uh, and you can probably hear it in my voice. <laughs> so that's it. Uh, but you know, I, I'm happy I'm up enough to record. Happy uh, the guests that we have because certainly have enjoyed his writing of late. Uh, and uh, so when I saw that come through this morning, I'm like, okay, suck it up, Colette. You can make this happen. So here I am. Yeah, I asked you, uh, I think a few weeks ago, and uh, who was the person you wanted to see that maybe we haven't had on before, and you said Corbin, and I was like, he was already on my list to ask. I'm looking forward to it. We are joined by Corbin Young, uh, who works at Fantrax, among a bunch of other places for fantasy baseball and fantasy football, is now, as of last week, a multiple award nominee at the uh, for FSWA. Corbin Young, welcome to the show. What's up? Yeah, thanks for having me, Justin and Jason. Yeah, it's good to chat with you guys here. Normally, just in the Twitter verse and the DMs or something, but not uh, not live like this. So it's nice to chat with you guys. Thanks for having me on. Oh, congratulations on your multiple awards! So tell everybody what you were nominated for. Uh, so it was just one actually. It was just the oh, thought... football ongoing series or whatever. So you should have been nominated for two. I thought you were nominated for another. <laughs> no, no, it's all good. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that was kind of you know nice. It's been a like in Jason's world, it's been a little rough in, you know, just some of the COVID cases, schools and stuff like that and my other job. So it just kind of, it was a nice little thing to end the week there on Friday. So you also may be the most fit person in the fantasy baseball world. And that is a direct shot at Dave Mendelson. Yeah, I must say, Dave, <laughs> Dave kind of sets the high bar when he came on here and, and made Justin and I look really, really bad. <laughs> I was gonna say, I was say, yeah, Mendy definitely uh, probably pushes that as well. But uh, we're also a little older than Mendy is, so <laughs> maybe they showed up with the gun show, and I was like, oh man. Although it did, you know, back since uh, since he came on the show, I think I did drop thirty five pounds. Uh, in all my efforts, but it was one of the things I looked, I was like, yeah, he's young. I'm, I'm like, I feel like he was half my age, uh, but I was just like, yeah, okay, maybe I'll do so. That was one of the upsides of 2021 was, was that, but yeah, he, he kind of sets the high bar uh, of, of what fantasy baseball fitness looks like. <laughs> I have also dropped 35 pounds since he's been on the show and my youngest daughter did not appreciate falling that far. <laughs> so, uh, I always appreciate seeing you post like your workout stuff. It's actually pretty motivating. So, uh, keep doing that. Uh, you can follow Corbin on Twitter at Corbin underscore Young twenty one. Follow Jason on Twitter at Jason Clint. Follow me on Twitter at Justin Mason FWFB. We are currently live for those who are in Hi, the. The Patreon uh, and Discord. So, if you're in the uh, the 420 tier of the uh, the of the Patreon, which uh, gets you access to Discord through the link in there, don't doesn't seem like we have anybody watching us yet. But it is early in the morning, especially for us West Coasters, uh, prior to Football Sunday. 
So you're missing uh, my great quarantine room here, guys. You can it, see my New York City apartment mm -hmm. style. You know, my big dog laying on the bed behind me. For you listening, uh, it's a mess. It looks awful. I'm just telling you. But you know, being stuck in here for day five, you're also uh, missing my shirt of Eno murdering me. So that's the, that's one of my favorite. I'm wearing the Emily Walden breast cancer awareness mm -hmm. uh, pitching ninja shirt. Uh, I think this is the fourth different color iteration of this shirt I have now. So that's great. Uh, put this on as soon as it came in the mail. I'm wearing it again here. Uh, go, Emily. Yeah. And uh, we, we should have sent Corbin a note about you had to wear a RotoWare shirt to come on the show. So. <laughs> Corbin's just wearing his hoodie. Uh, if, you, if you want to go back and watch the episode, uh, I will put a link to the video on uh the show description or you can just go over and check my youtube it'll be made publicly available after i post the episodes at some point today but we are going to talk about a bunch of pitchers and this the the kind of thought process for this was uh corbin uh had an article in which he was discussing one of these guys it's like oh i definitely want to discuss this guy because I, I want corbin to turn me around on him a little bit um, and we'll see if he's willing to do that or able to do that. Um, but uh, so we're going to play some would you rathers with some starting pitchers who have roughly roughly the same ADP. Uh, we'll start at the top. The guy I was just referencing, he's towards the bottom of the ADP that we'll be discussing today. Um, but I want to start with Shane Bieber and Aaron Nola. Both guys are coming off of down seasons for different reasons. Uh, they're both going around the same in the ADP around, uh, you know, the 10th to 15th pitcher. Uh, Corbin, I'll start with you. Who do you, who would you rather draft? Who do you think has the better potential for a bounce back in 2022? Uh, you know, my gut was just like, when I was looking at this, it's like the healthy pitcher in Arnola, mm -hmm. I think, you know, I think uh, I, I know Shane Bieber came back after the shoulder injury kind of late last season, but I'm just not sure. I guess I need to see a little bit more before I can buy back in. I mean, uh, if you just look at Nola's numbers, like it just looks like he's kind of due for a little bit of a bounce back just in terms of the strand rate. Uh, ERA was kind of boomed up. Home run, home run rate boomed up as well. So just kind of looking at some of that. Um, and then, you know, it just in terms of like the use, Nola's top five in K minus BB rate amongst qualified pitchers with like Corbin Burns, Max Scherzer, Garrett Cole, and Robbie Ray. So, you know, we just didn't see it quite in those ratios that we're used to. So it's like, you know, one of his worst years in terms of ERA and whip. So it's like, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to kind of expect a little bounce back there with Nola. So I probably prefer Nola over Bieber. Would you, or are you targeting either of these guys in drafts or is it just like, I like Aaron Nola better, but I'm probably not grabbing either. Um, I know when you sent this, I was like, how close are they? And I'm like, oh, you chose them because they're all close together. And so I'm like, um, you know, I'm usually like a starting pitcher early kind of guy. Like probably, you know, if I'm in that late first round there or so, probably in the second round, early second round. Um, so I mean, I'd probably look at them. It's hard. It's hard to say because, you know, some of the, it depends on, I guess, what, what you did in the beginning. Ideally, you probably locked up a guy with some stolen bases and then maybe I'd, I'd probably just go with Nola, especially if I don't know if I want to take that injury risk a little too early there for Shane Beaver. Jason, where are you at on these two guys? Are you, you got one that you prefer? Are you in on both out on both? Where are you at? 
Yeah, it's 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 funny when you look at you know the uh, the pre notes that we did. I included last year's ADP and draft champions versus where it's been over the last thirty days, uh, and the 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 shoulder risk with Bieber uh, has dropped him twenty, uh, and Nola's seasons dropped him around. That's that's really it. And uh, for me, it's it's funny, you know, where I stand with shoulder uh, shoulder issues with pitchers, and I even saw uh, Matt Medica talking yesterday about uh, in a one of the 15 drafts he seems to be in right now, but I think it's one of his $1,000 uh, events uh, or draft champion. Like he took Bieber and he's like, I really didn't want to do it. His shoulder still scares me, but it's what it, it's what it is. You know, that's who was available uh, at the point. But for me, it's Nolan. I've made this point a couple of times uh, this winter about him being one of four pitchers with great skills and crappy ERAs. And that defense didn't do him any favors in Philly, but you know Tristan McKenzie, Logan Gilbert, Aaron Nola, Hugh Darvish, the only four pitchers with ERAs over four last year who uh, had at least a 25% strikeout rate, batting average uh, against a below 250 and a WHIP of 120 or, or lower, uh, and those are the only guys. Everybody else was 3.83 or lower, uh, and then those four guys were at, at the top. Uh, and you would have to hope. Uh, we saw that Phillies did some improvements in the bullpen. I really do like Corey Knable being added, uh, add some depth. So one would hope that Nola uh, won't have is that problem and the defense that he had last year. I don't believe Philly is done with their roster. Um, there are some options for them to uh, improve their outfield defense. <laughs> Trade for Kevin Kiermaier, please. Uh, but, you know, they've got some options to uh, do some stuff. And, if, but for me, I want Nola all day long here. Uh, I, I believe in him. I know that like year after year, he's, he's getting closer to that Dave Bush syndrome where the skills are there, the outcomes aren't. He's too good for it to be this mediocre uh, for his outcomes for this long. I, I'm back in and the market is too. Like I said, he's only dropped around uh, from where he was last year. Uh, so, but to me and Bieber's, I really don't want to get into that position Matt was at where it's like, okay, I have to draft this guy because of what he could be, but the shoulder injury scares me. I don't want to be that in that spot. Yeah. I, I will not be in that spot. One, because I, I hope to get one of the aces kind of ahead of uh, Bieber, but two, I feel like there are guys going behind Bieber. I'd rather have anyways. And so if I'm not going to get kind of the, the one a aces, I'll, I'll just wait for some of the one B guys going a little bit later that I, I still really like. Uh, and the, therefore, like, I, it's clear to me that that Nola is the guy. I mean, when you look at his underlying pitching metrics, um, his ERA indicators, I mean, he clearly got unlucky in 2021. Uh, and, I mean, he's quite literally, like, just been super, super steady until last year. And I don't think we give him enough credit for how – just dominant of a pitcher he can be. Um, I think I believe I have him. I'm going to double check that right now. I've got him as my number 11 starting pitcher right now. So I'm totally fine where he's going. Uh, Bieber, just like you guys mentioned, I'm afraid of the health. So like I had him pretty high up early on. And every time I do a rankings update, which is like every few days or so uh, on, on, uh, on my starting pitcher document, he just drops a spot, drops two spots right now. I think I have him at number 18 or 19. Um, I just, I, I can't, I can't buy back in as much as I love the skills. If he's healthy, he's probably a huge, uh, a value. I just, 
I don't want to take a guy I've got real question marks with that early in a draft. And I think that's yeah, I mean, that. look at the the top 15 uh, ADPs over the last month in draft champion format. Uh, Luke, Lucas Giolito is the, is the, rounds out the top 15 at 42. You know, Bieber's at 31. And you look at that top 15, and he's the only guy that you even that even brings you pause, really. I mean, to me, he's the only guy that I, I, I hesitate to pull the trigger because he's gone – as high as 20, as low as 50, average uh, yeah, ADP is 31 uh, in this. But he's the only guy in this where I'm like, eh. yeah, as you said, there are names that we're going to talk about a few of these guys that come down later with this. But, you know, I didn't like, I didn't, I've had Beaver reservations previously. Uh, and what was it? Uh, 2000, before two, 2020, I was dead wrong on it. You know, if I'm dead wrong again, oh well, uh, it happens. But I was dead wrong at 20, but that wasn't a health concern. Uh, and this one is a health concern, and that's why I am out. Absolutely. Let's uh, move on to our next pairing. These guys, again, I believe are two top, uh, looks like top 15 pitchers. Yeah, top 15 pitchers uh, when you take off the uh, the the few relievers going ahead of Robbie Ray yeah. um, in the ADP. Uh, not as close together as they were when I first uh, look, kind of we're putting, I hadn't updated my, my dates on my ADP. And now that I have, uh, it looks like Robbie Ray is starting to slip a little bit. His ADP is 44.7, uh, since I believe Christmas, um, and Sandy Alcantara, uh, his ADP is 32.89. Jason, who would you prefer out of these two? Um, I was, very, very high on Alcantara last year, uh, and that worked out very well. You know, we, there was a lot of attention being paid to some of the other higher, higher skill or perceived higher skill. A lot of attention on Pablo Lopez, uh, you know, uh, Sixto Sanchez and whatnot. And Alcantara was just kind of sitting there as a guy that we looked at. We thought we could get a good amount of volume from, and he gave us the volume as well as the skills. Uh, and Lance Lynn was the guy that we thought, okay, this could be a big year for him with the, we had concerns about him leaving the comforts of Texas and going to Chicago, but the run support was supposed to be there. Uh, and, and he doesn't get hurt. Well, guess what? He did miss time. <laughs> that was the, you know, he, he pitched, ended up throwing almost 50 fewer innings than Alcantara did last year. And despite the run support in 28 starts, he got 11 wins. Uh, and so he did struggle with that first year adjustment, whereas Alcantara was out there, took the took the ball every 33 times, but he only got nine wins out of it. And that, that's what was really tough uh, for him, because as that team decided to rebuild in the second half, that impacted him. Uh, and now with the <laughs> praying uh, for those of you guys watching visually with the with the universal DH looks like it's going to be on the table. Uh, Alcantara maybe could even get a little bit more uh, than than some of this. So maybe we could add on another uh, 10 innings. But uh, I don't want to run away from Alcantara because the conditions are still for them. Whereas with Lynn, the same problems are there. It could be uh, a run support thing. But if both of these guys get 200 innings uh, at their current market price, it's 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 really tough to let somebody else take Alcantara as much as I'd like him and not just wait for Lynn. I mean, like the 30-day the ADP right now is Alcantara is sitting at 38 and Lynn is sitting at 63. Uh, and we, we are discussing Robbie Ray in Alcantara, though. 
I thought we had Lynn and Alcantara. I'm sorry. Lynn is next, but we'll My get bad. there. Yikes. Uh, <laughs> tell, tell in that case, I want Alcantara like all day long. I want Alcantara all day long over this uh, because I have more concerns about Robbie Ray, who had uh, extreme amount of run support last year. Uh, in his favor that he's not going to enjoy in Seattle. Uh, the the biggest concern I have in Seattle is the amount of late and close games they want is something that doesn't translate well year over to year. Uh, we've talked about the 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 first year in a, in a larger free agent contract, changing locations and whatnot. Uh, no, uh, I want Alcantara. There's more stability and certainty in what he can do than what Robbie Ray is walking into in his new situation. Corbin, you're a, a Seattle guy, right? So you got to be pretty excited. Robbie Ray is coming to your neck of the woods. Uh, and you get to go maybe see him pitch uh, in, uh, you in know, front. <laughs> but are you excited that much that you would be willing to take him over someone like Sandy Alcantara? So initially I was looking at this and I think – Maybe Jason convinced me and I was like looking around as we're, we're talking here. Initially, I was just my gut was like Robbie Ray, you know, just uh, just like a little cheaper. Um, but then I look at Sandy Alcantara a little bit and it's like usually if you see a guy that maybe has like a potential career season, you're like, oh, the Babbitt or the left, you know, strand rates are nervous or this. So he's like this really, really outlier stuff. But I, I don't really see that with with Alcantara there. And yeah, like Jason's saying, you know, it's just like the durability. I mean, uh, we'll talk about a wink-wink uh, picture later, uh, foreshadowing, uh, developing the changeup there. Um, but, you know, he developed the changeup, pitcher exchange a little, strikeouts came along, uh, plus that durability. Uh, you know, he's got three pitches uh, with a double-digit swing and strike rate. Um, just skills are there, too. Doesn't seem too outlandish of what he did to replicate there. Um, I do like Robbie Ray. Um, it... it it's, but yeah, the strand rate of uh, over 90%, I don't think is uh, st staying around. Um, I, I saw that tweet you put out today, Jason. Uh, I, I didn't know that was maybe, I, I noticed Ryu in there, but I guess it probably applies with the the, the run scoring and stuff like that or whatever. Yeah, it's run it's yeah. not as, I mean, the, the run support, when you look at, he basically had about five runs a game coming into it and, and this is more going to come into play with a pitcher we're going to talk about later that i really don't like this year uh but you know ryu was one of the guys toronto itself had a lot of run support uh but ray and ray really earned his more because 72 percent of his starts last year were quality starts so he put himself in the positions for this you know we talked uh i think last we talked about where wins come from and the, if you go to baseball reference and look at the starting pitching uh, splits uh, on the teams, you can tell they've got some categories. So he started, you know, Robbie Ray, 32 games. You know, he won 13 of the 32 he started in. He had 12 no decisions in those games that he started. He only had one cheap win, uh, where a cheap win is defined as a, a game where you don't have a quality start, but you get a win. He had one tough loss. Uh, and so, really, when he was out there, you knew what you were going to get. Uh, he didn't. He didn't luck into a lot of wins. He didn't fall into a lot of unfortunate losses like some other guys. Uh, you know, when I look at those categories, like Alcantara, he had six losses in quality starts. And you know, if Miami could give him just a little uh, more stuff in that regard, that would certainly help him. Uh, and so, when you look at the cheap wins, you know, he wasn't there either. Uh, but somebody like uh, 
without trying, like Michael Pineda, seven. He had seven cheap wins where getting wins and non-quality starts. And those kind of things hurt you when you're trying to chase wins. But that's really where it comes into play where Alcantara is 9-15. and 15. If we were just to give him just half of those tough luck wins or losses in the wins, all of a sudden he's 12-12. and 12. Uh, And that's going to impact his fantasy value. Every win is going to help in that regard. Uh, So when somebody looks at him and says, oh, he doesn't win, you know, he had single-digit wins, well, look how many got left on the table because of surrounding situations. Invoking the name of Michael Pineda in a pitching debate is never a good thing. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) um, uh, As far as I go, like, I I have Alcatara ranked higher than Ray, so clearly I, I have a preference. I'm not opposed to taking either, but I just find myself either attacking the pitching going ahead of these guys or the pitching going behind these guys. I just don't seem to ever land on them. Now I'm only five drafts in. Who knows with, with my final, you know, eight to ten drafts of the season, uh, kind of how that's going to go for me. But at this point, like, while I like both, and I definitely feel like Alcantara has a level of safety that maybe Robbie Ray doesn't, and maybe that's just because I've been burned by Robbie Ray too many times over the course of my career, and he still has a homer problem, uh, and he's going to be pitching in a new environment that he's not used to. That being said, like I don't have a problem with the prices. I just don't think they fit into the way I'm going to be building my teams this year. So it seems unlikely unless one drops considerably in a draft that I end up with these guys. I mean, I'll say this with Ray, uh, currently the 16th overall pitcher. Yeah. He seems to be, when you look at how the tiers are going, like he's the last, if you haven't drafted your pitching ace yet, the guy to start your staff, like if you don't make that Robbie Ray, then you start getting into, some weirdness like the next starting pitchers available are Freddie Peralta, Chris Sale, Logan Webb, Lance Lynn, um, and Jack Flaherty is the next five guys in that. Uh, and you know, all of them have different circumstances, uh, with things. But to me, like Ray is the one guy that I could look at for volume if I'm trying to, to bank that 170 innings pitched of that five. Uh, Lance Lynn would be the only one who should give me that, but he didn't give it, didn't give it to us last year. So let's talk about Lance Lynn. That's that's a professional segue there, uh, 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 Jason. Let's talk about Lance Lynn because he is the next guy on the list, along with Jack Flaherty. Uh, Corbin, I'll start with you on this one. Do you have a preference between the two? Uh, because Lance Lynn is currently going at pick 63.85, with Jack Flaherty going at 69.74. So they're within a pick of each other since Christmas in the ADP on draft champions, who would you prefer? Uh, I love Lancelin. Uh, you know, he just typically durable. Like she said, typically durable, but just not last year. Um, and, you know, he's just one of those just pitchers that like, it's just such a weird profile, right? Just like relies on three different fastballs <laughs> and just like crafty as hell. And just, and just knows how to pitch. Um, so I'm a little worried about, I think Flaherty had like an oblique uh, and shoulder issue last season. So, I, I know the ADP is a little lower, but I'm still just a little weary about trying to, you know, worried about trying to grab a pitcher there that is coming in already injured or had multiple injuries that I'm worried about. Um, so, yeah, I'll, I'll take Lance Lynn over there. Yeah, I'm not going to argue that. That's really when you when a guy missed had two different stints uh, where he wasn't able to pitch. That, that was that was concerning. He was one of the guys. You know, when we came into, like in hindsight, coming off the shortened season, 
you know, he, he even wasn't ready to – he didn't make all of his starts in the shortened season either. So we're talking about three different missed times over the last season and, uh, you know, 1.37 seasons uh, with that. But but in 2019, he had that large workload, which put him on which put him on the radar, put him in the Cy Young uh, story and all that. But, you know, since then, since 196, he's gone 118.2 over the last 1.37 seasons. Whereas Lynn, you know, did miss some time last year, but as you know, Corbin said, the way he pitches, um, what I'd like, what I've always liked about Lynn is just how he attacks. He doesn't, he doesn't mess around. He's not trying to get you to chase out of the zone. He's trying to get ahead of you as much as he can, and then put you on the defensive. Uh, and so there, there's value in those types of, of pitchers. And there's another guy uh, on this list that we'll talk about that's taking that same approach. But it's like, and that's what I like about him. And again, getting back to the points I was making earlier when I thought we were talking about him, you know, he does have the run support uh, that the, the Chicago team should be able to provide him with plenty. Their bullpen has the depth. The, the The conditions are there for Lynn to have a very nice year if he can avoid the IL uh, and get back to where he uh, his typical level of workload. Yeah, I, I'm right there with you guys. Uh, not that I'm opposed to drafting Clarity because I've been in a draft where he has just dropped considerably and got end up getting him, I think, in the sixth round of a draft. And I was like, you know, as my SP3 in the sixth round, I think I'm going to take that gamble. Um, oh, that's a great – yeah, that's a, I would say that's a good point. Every At, at, a, at a certain price, anything's worth a chance. As yeah. long as the guy's arm's not hanging off – hanging by a thread. But mm-hmm. at a certain price, okay. Yeah, there, there are – uh, if, if the market says one thing, you're like, I don't like the market. But if you see a guy start falling, then you have to at least kick the tires and say, okay, am I willing to take that chance? But when I like earlier with Bieber, if I, if I said, yeah, I'm out on Bieber. But if I see Bieber sitting there at pick 50, I will take a chance on Shane Bieber. Absolutely. I think everybody should have a prize. Um, that being said, like the one thing you guys didn't mention with Flaherty's injury, is the way they handled him down the stretch. Like, he missed a bunch of time between like May and August, came back, had two starts in which he went six innings. And you're like, all right, Jack Flaherty time. I've been holding on to him. I'm ready to go. He's ready to go. Cardinals are in a playoff race. Um, and all of a sudden they're like inning, two innings. He's a reliever. Like, uh, like that just, it, it totally boggled my mind. Um, it was extremely frustrating uh, for those who had him rostered in leagues um, but it just puts up some extra kind of red flags in the back of my mind when I go, the team was really, really careful with him down the stretch, even though they were in a race. To did they ever him. put him, did they ever put him on the aisle in September? Did they ever have to? Because he had they, that, I don't that six, did. he did that. He was out, you know, he got hurt right at the end of May. He comes back in mid August. Like you said, does the six and six Then he starts then he oh, starts they did, the yeah. next game with two innings, and then he's gone for a month. Oh, you know what? Because of the expanded rosters, I can't remember if they put him on the IL that's, or not. Yeah, but, that's why I, um, I don't recall. But it's so like, I think they might have because what happens. I forgot what happened in that late August, but he, you know, he was in there for two innings. Uh, it was not a good two innings. Uh, you know, gave up multiple home runs. I I want to say in watching, like velocity was down, and we're like, why is he even back out there for the next inning? Um, I believe I remember texting in the group text, like, what's happening here? Yeah, he went on the aisle for a shoulder <clears throat> August 25th. Yep. Um, and, yeah, his, his velocity was down. He was throwing 94 uh, before he went on the aisle at the end of May. 
uh, early June, um, came back throwing 93, and then all of a sudden it was down to 91. So, um, yeah, I'm yeah, and I love Lance Lynn. Like I even talk, I've, I've I've only talked about Flaherty. I have Lance Lynn as a top 10 pitcher this year, and he's you know one of the guys who I just keep getting in drafts because nobody else is valuing him close to where I am. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm not as worried about Lynn holding up. I mean, he, you know, if you don't count the 2020 season because they're short for everybody, he's pretty much thrown at least 150 innings in every single one of his careers since coming into the league. Um, I think he's kind of just a horse. Uh, I kind of give him a little bit of a, a break considering he's coming off the shortened season to, you know, the larger season. So he missed a little bit more time than we're used to, but I think he's top 10 pitcher pretty easily, uh, and Flaherty is definitely not at this point. Plus, I mean, there's no – the thing with Lance Lynn is you know what you're going to get. There's no sexy upside. But, man, there's a really low – the only thing we've described here about his floor is if he gets hurt again. Yeah, absolutely. That's it. Uh, if there's no sexy upside, there's a really high floor. Uh, and I think I say this every episode now. There's a lot of unsexy players on championship teams. He's uh, a good example of what's out there uh, for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it, I mean yeah, I, I totally agree. I mean, even Flaherty, like I, the ratios and the skills are good, but yeah, it's just the injury, you know. Like, I mean, even just per inning basis, like you're saying, Justin, before the relief stuff, it's like he was pretty damn good whenever he pitched out there. It's just mm-hmm. he didn't pitch very much, so it's kind of yeah, one one of the worst teams I had had Jack Flaherty on it, but we won't talk about it. <laughs> I, I think that's a really good point. So, like, it really works to, like, what format you're playing in, right, on whether you should be going after a guy like Clarity. If you're playing in an NFBC league, like an NFBC fab league, where there's no IL, right, you only have seven bench spots, you know, banking on a guy like Flaherty can be really risky because if you lose him, you're, one, probably not going to have a ton of replacement value on the waiver wire, but, two, like, you're going to have to hold him. Uh, you know, you're not going to want to drop him into the player pool. And that just crushes one of your reserve spots, not having an IL. But let's say you're in a, you know, home league with, you know, it's a 10-team league, a 12-team league with a lot of bench spots, with IL spots. Like, you know, there's a lot of replacement value on the waiver wire because you're such a shallow league. Like, I can see taking the gamble there a little bit more than than on a guy like Flaherty if you're playing in a 15-team league with no IL. Uh, let's move on to our next pairing of guys, uh, moving our way down the, uh, the ADP. We have, um, you Darvish versus Justin Verlander in a battle of two old guys. Um, one coming off of injury, didn't pitch at all last year. And Justin Verlander going pick 102.59 and then you Darvish going 96.22 who did pitch, but had some real ups and downs through the course of the season. Jason, who you got? Sorry, dead air there. Uh, for me, this is Darvish, and this is not even close. Uh, and, and the reason why, and I want to go back to something that Nick Pollock said on episode 1000, as we discussed some of the other guys, there's this, sometimes we have this leap of faith where a guy is going to pick up where they left off after missing so much time. Uh, and I think, believe we were talking about it in the context of Corey Kluber and how, like, he admitted, like, hey, maybe I bought too much into Kluber going to New York. Uh, this was this was going to work or different things like that. But for me, I mentioned Darvish earlier as one of those four pitchers with the high ERA despite good skills down the line. 
uh, with that. Uh, and that's why I want Darvish here all day long. And I know what Verlander was before he was hurt, but we're talking about a, a lengthy layoff. I believe that surgery, I forgot what his surgery did. I think he's in the two-year clearance thing. He will be by the start of the season. Yeah, yeah. but it's still a long layoff. Uh, And I want the guy who has pitched and the guy that, yeah, but around his struggles last year still had a really solid foundational skill. If he could just stop giving up the multi-run home runs uh, and stop hanging some of those pitches. Uh, But for me, again, I will take Darvish eight days a week uh, in this. And that's no slight on Verlander and what he has done, but we honestly have no idea what he will do this year. Corbin, where are you at? Yep. I, this is the shortest blurb I wrote on my notes. Uh, <laughs> you Darvish. Uh, I'm not sure if uh, David McDonald's uh, in my ear right now, but uh, injury, the team doctor tells me that uh, don't don't go with the injured guy. <laughs> um, yeah, I, you Darvish. I mean, I don't, I don't know how we can possibly even consider Justin Verlander um, just a giant layoff. So, yeah, no, no thanks. I mean, we say that, but like Verlander is currently going off just outside the top 100. You take out some of those relievers, uh, and he's pretty much like a top 35 starting pitcher right now off the board, having not pitched in a long, long time. Um, I'd like to look up a lead. Like, what's the most innings somebody has pitched after a two year layoff? Yeah, I mean,. I have no idea that, I mean, I bet you there's someone who just came back and threw 200. Like, I'm, I'm sure there's going to be one. Oh, I'm of sure there pieces. is out there. I would love, yeah, I, I'm not you know, good. It, I'm not that good on stat head to be like, okay, give me this leaderboard. And I want to find somebody who didn't pitch the year before. It, it, it'll be someone who went off to world war two and like came back and threw 300 innings. Uh, <laughs> I was going to say Lance Lynn. No, I, that was like the first thing that popped in my he head. Did. Well, if you go back and look at Lance Lynn, he did pitch quite a bit the year mm-hmm. he came off of tj yeah. surgery with the twins and, and it showed because he was you know then he went you got sent to the yankees uh, on there but lance lynn had a pretty uh no I, shortly thereafter but i do remember lance lynn being one of the anomalies of that because he did come back and throw quite a bit like he threw 186 innings after missing 2016 it's pretty uh pretty good um you know, and I mean, here's the other thing that I don't, I don't, haven't really heard a lot of people talk about in the industry in terms of uh, Verlander. What mechanics of Verlander is Verlander going to be throwing with? Because remember, like before he got hurt, before everything happened, um, he talked about how he was changing his mechanics so he could try to pitch another five to ten years uh, at his age. Is he going to come back to those mechanics? Is he going to go back to the mechanics that we know have made him elite? Is he, you know, is he, we have no idea if he's the same guy. I mean, he's, he's 39. I'm, I, you know, I mean, all of us are of an age now where we know what, like, you know, being a little bit older does to your body in general. Um, But, you know, I just, there's no way I can pay the price where he's going. Like, I'm not, I'm not even close. Uh, So, I mean, this one's a pretty easy call for me and Darvish. Uh, that being said, I don't know that I end up with a ton of Darvish too. I, I don't know. I, I know he started rebound at the end of the season. He really, really struggled not having sticky stuff. It makes you wonder what kind of, you know, the balls they were using and stuff, like how that uh, kind of affected him throughout the season. You know, but, but, and he, is, yeah. he has his own history, uh, injury history that can be a little bit frightening as well. Um, I've seen him go really late in drafts. So that that's, you know. and has got his he, latest 122. Yeah, when you start seeing him go around there, you you, you really just say, F it, I'll, I'll take the gamble. 
Well, if you look at some of the guys ahead of them, uh, like I'm looking at some of the starting pitchers ahead of them. Um, Alec Manoa is going about half a round in front of him. Montas is going a, a, about a round in front of him. Uh, quite frankly, I want Darvish over both of those guys. Uh, oh, see, Luis I, Castillo, I uh... Luis Castillo is going almost two rounds in front of him, and man, I don't, I don't want Luis Castillo until he's off Cincinnati, and maybe that's why, maybe that's why he's being drafted where he is. Because I know Luis Castillo to me is one of those guys where you know what's possible, and when things are hot, they're really hot, and you see it, you can, you watch him, you're like, okay, yes, I'm, I'm so in, but for me. I don't know, like somebody's taking him 44th overall to me. He's got to get out of Cincinnati to achieve that kind of value. Whereas Darvish is on a team that people really love coming into last year who, you know, underperformed. And maybe, maybe this is the year that they, that they take that step forward. Uh, and maybe this is the year that Darvish gets on the Julio Urias train and wins 20 games for a team because he can go out there and just pitch. I mean, Urias, yeah, you got 20 wins, but talking about some of those cheap wins, he led all of baseball in eight of those. Uh, he had eight wins in games where he was not a quality start pitcher. Uh, Darvish could pull the same thing off. Yeah. All right, let's uh, let's keep rolling right along uh, and talk about you know one a guy who's kind of coming off of an injury season uh, in which uh, you know things just couldn't come together for him in Zach Gallon, uh, and then a young guy who I think people are starting to get really excited about in Logan Gilbert. Uh, Zach Allen currently going to pick 129.7. Logan Gilbert going at 132. Jason, who you got between these two guys? You know, I, I really like Gilbert uh, here. I've watched both guys pitch, but Gilbert to me, and going back to the the, the NOLA Darvish ERA grouping, Gilbert was one of the four guys I mentioned earlier about the high ERA despite the skills. Uh, the only pitcher in baseball last year who had a higher ERA than Gilbert Nola or Darvish with the with the skill set I talked about was Tristan McKenzie. That's it. Those are your four guys. Uh, and so for me, with the, the Gilbert doing what he did as, as a rookie and being able to excel uh, in in so many areas, uh, but struggle with ERA that's not completely in his control. Uh, I, I like what what's possible for him. Uh, coming into this season. Uh, when I look at those two teams compared to looking at Seattle and Arizona, Seattle, while I don't think they will win as many games as they did last year, going back to how they overperformed in the late and close games, they're still going to be in a better situation than what Arizona will be. Uh, Arizona still got to take a leap forward. Seattle still has that, you know, that really good bullpen that could help protect some of that, uh, some of the outings there with Gilbert. Uh, and so I want Gilbert here, but it's not like I'm not talking like the Darvish first Verlander. Like I want, I want one guy all day long over the other. I just prefer Gilbert in this situation based off what he showed last year underneath the messy ERA. Corbin, where are you at on these two guys? Yeah, and I promise this isn't a uh, Mariners homerism or anything. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I do. Yeah, we don't do homerism on this show. It's okay. I, I, I do prefer uh, to, to Logan Gilbert. Uh, I wrote him up. He was one of the guys that uh, I just kind of wrote up as like could take that Freddie Peralta leap. Uh, unfortunately, the market seems to kind of be in line with uh, some of the thinking here at the ADP. Um, you know, so I, the Mariners are an organization that really emphasize controlling the strike zone. Uh, and, you know, Gilbert definitely does that. Um, he, you know, he uh, in the second half, the ERA wasn't great, but the whip, you know, improved, the K-BB improved, the swing strike rate improved, he gave up less contact. 
uh, you know, slight adjustment of the pitch mix, not super significant. Uh, kind of like Zach Allen, but he's got a you know, small sample, but it's got three pitches, you know, double digit swing and strike rate. The four seamer is really good. I think it's one of the one of the top rank, like in terms of negative run value and baseball savant for the all four seamers. Uh, yeah, negative 19 there. Um, so uh, in terms of Gallon, Gall- Gallon's hard to gauge. Yeah, because like, you know, we still have that kind of rookie season in our mind of kind of down the stretch and he did really well. Uh, and then didn't he have like an elbow issue or something heading into last year that was like, everybody's like, do we draft him? Do we not? And so, um, I mean, he, the ratios ballooned a little bit, you know, with the home run rate, but I mean, the skills are definitely still there. Um, I, I think it's, yeah, I was trying to look at, I, I lean more Gilbert, but I think, I think you can't go wrong if you believe in the skills that Gallon has, which I think we, a lot of us can agree is like possibly a subside, but we just need to see that for a longer track record. Yeah. I mean, he had like a, I want to say it was like a broken forearm or something um, coming into the season and then came back quickly and then had some elbow issues. Like it was such a weird season. And I, I mean, I don't know that the elbow issues were ever really addressed. Um, and for that reason, in spite of the fact that I have them ranked like right next to each other, I have Logan Gill, I mean, like literally right next to each other, 46, 47 in my starting pitcher ranks. Um, I just can't, I can't pull the trigger on Gallon. Like the, the injury risk to me is so great, even though I love the upside. Uh, and I, I do think he has the upside of a top, you know, 15, top 20 starter. Um, He's playing on a bad team in Arizona. They're not going to win very many games, uh, you know, and so you're you're unlikely to get a lot of win uh, run support for for wins. And then I just don't know that I could trust him to make it through a full season. And he was probably the most aggravating person to roster last year um, in 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 fantasy baseball because you, you felt like you couldn't let him go for a really long time because of the upside. But you just he would come back and then he wouldn't and then yeah just. I think I'm out on Zach Gallon this year. Logan Gilbert's a guy I'm really, really intrigued by, and I'm very excited by watching him pitch and watching his development in the majors uh, from start to start and towards the end of the year. But like Corbin said, the market is like really excited by him too. Uh, you know, his his min and max picks are almost a hundred spots uh, away from each other uh, so far. You can see. Uh, about 80, a little over 80 spots. So his, his min pick over the last month on NFBC draft champions, 91, his max pick 175. So there are going to be some drafts where he drops a little bit. Uh, maybe there aren't enough believers uh, because of the lack of track record in the majors, but the top hundred is a tough price to pay for a guy like Logan Gilbert, who hasn't really proven it yet at the major league level. Moving right along, uh, we go to another guy who is kind of a trendy pick uh, that people are really, really excited about in Tarek Skubal versus kind of an older, crustier veteran in Hyunjin Ryu. Uh, so a little bit of a a little bit of a difference, uh, a, a little bit of a difference in ADP too. We're, we're talking about uh, twenty five picks or so. Um, Tar- Tariq Skubal, 174 in the ADP over the last month uh, on draft champions. Hyunjin Ryu, 197. Corbin, who you got between these two guys? 
Yeah, another, yeah, another guy like you're saying, trick school. It's the the market's adjusting here, right? Like I, when I looked at where his ADP was, I was a little like, okay, and then I think it's been rising a little bit. So, uh, um, I. I like I like Scoobo's skills. Um, you know, I think we were worried about Ryu's health, but he just put up like outside of 2020, right? Put up two pretty solid inning pitches, and um, Ryu kind of falls into that like Lance Lynn kind of neighborhood for me, where it's just like the stuff's decent, but like just pretty crafty and knows how to pitch kind of guy. Um, you know, usually gives you a pretty good ratios. Um, you know, we saw the home run rate with Ryu boom up there with with the Blue Jays there. Um, but Tariq Skubal, so uh, the skills are good. I think um, the it, so I was just kind of scrolling through some things, and he uh, he, he has a t- super super high, like really good for pitches, negative twenty nine run value in the shadow area of the zone on baseball savant. Uh, but in the heart of the zone, he's just awful, like plus four run value. Um, he's got four pitches with a double digit swing and strike rate. Um, with the slider and changeup kind of being the most notable, um, you know, he's just, he, so I was looking at, there's a leaderboard of like this, the different, uh, run values and only two pitchers show up with, uh, that rank kind of top 25 in the negative uh, run values for the shadow area, um, with a positive like run value in the heart of the zone. So like a bad run value for pitchers. And those two pitchers are Frankie Montas and Therese Scoble. So I, I don't really know necessarily what that means there, but what that tells me is that I think that Scoobo's, you know, possibly going to be a little bit better in the heart of the zone next year. I don't think he's going to be that terrible. Um, if he, Scoobo feels a little bit Robbie Ray-ish, where, you know, in theory, like if your stuff is really good, you should be just like throwing in the zone, um, but probably just needs to command it a little better. Um, <clears throat> so if I'm just going based on like, pure skills and upside i'm gonna go scoobal but if i'm looking for a little bit of safety i guess i go through you just kind of based on what we've seen 2019 and 2021 um but so it kind of depends on what you're going for that i guess if you're looking for you know safer innings and it's weird to say that with you right because we're worried about his injuries so much but if you're looking for safer innings i guess you go through you but if you're looking for upside i probably go scoobal jason where are you at on these two guys Here's the thing about Scooble. You know, you go back and look at his profile last year. He threw seven different pitch types last year. Now, as somebody who loves new pitches, I was pretty excited to see what he was going to be able to do with the splitter, but it was garbage. Uh, and honestly, I, I believe that it impacted his fastball because we look at his fastball. Uh, you know, Corbin talked about run value, and it's just weird how his fastball just got so different last year. It went when I when I was looking at his profile. So his fastball spin rate in 2020 was 83rd percentile. Last year it was 29th. How does somebody lose almost 300 RPMs over one season to the next? Maybe it was some of the sticky stuff. Maybe it was the fact that he was playing with seven different pitches and he lost the shape and, and what he could do with his fastball. Uh, but to me, like I cannot get excited about him uh, or. I'm sorry, I cannot get re-excited about him. I can't uh, get back to where I was about him until I see the fastball perform as it did. It was no mistake. I mean, the league hit 22 home runs off that fastball last year. They hit 291. They slugged 611. The fastball, despite its velocity, performed like garbage. Uh, and I don't know if he's got to eliminate, like, okay, throw away the splitter. It doesn't work for you. Throw away the cutter. It's not working for you. You are a three-pitch guy. Work with your two different fastballs. 
your your slider uh, and your curveball. Just do it. Just try to do that and, and reestablish something because this fastball is not going to play. Uh, it, it was simply too hittable. Um, and if he's falling behind in too many counts, the, the guys are out there hunting for it. But it, if this is the new shape of this fastball, if it doesn't spin as much, but it's still coming up there, sitting at you know 94.4, 94.5 is your average velocity, but it's got less life on it, it's going to get punished. So I need to I need to wait and see. He's in my uh, fade. I'm going to come down. What conversely with for you, there's a couple of things I like about him. You know, Corbin hinted at the home run rate, but the good news is you don't have to pitch a Salem Field anymore. Uh, he gave up seven home runs, or six home runs at Salem Field last year. Uh, and so let's maybe think three of those seven become home runs at, at Rogers Center. But he doesn't have to pitch there. He gave up one home run and three outings at TD America Ballpark in Dunedin. He gave up three in Camden last year. Let's 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 take away two of those, uh, given how they're moving the fence back 30 feet. Or they even take away one of those. So his home run rate becomes slightly below average to average, maybe even slightly better than average if we you know, give or take five home runs. Um, off him in that regard. He did have a lot of run support last year, uh, second most run support of any starting pitcher. Uh, but unlike what we were talking about earlier, he wasn't lucking into a lot of those wins. I mean, we look at the the run support that he had last year. He had seven no decisions. He had five of the cheap wins. He had two tough losses. Uh, so again, uh, the four out uh, of the fourteen wins he had, you know, he it wasn't like he was being gifted all these. Uh, he did struggle. I mean, pitching in the AL East isn't easy. He had a low 42% quality start rate. Um, so he was pitching to some score a little bit, <laughs> uh, so to say there. But he wasn't lucking. And the 14 wins were well-earned because he was out there. Uh, he was the one guy that you knew when Toronto was going to send him out there behind Ray that uh, he was going to offer you that uh, he was going to work deep into the game. Uh, there. So I, I like Ryu better here uh, only because I really don't like what we saw from school the last year. And I frankly don't get why he's moving up the charts as much as he is right now. I mean, I, I get it. I, I know people like really shoot for those guys who have really high strikeout upside. And I think school obviously has that strikeout upside, but he makes a lot of mistakes. Um, I'm, I'm not yet ready to anoint school. I am ready to give, Hyunjin Ryu another chance. Um, you know, one of the things he talked about is, like, he was separated from his family. Yeah, that's a great point. You know, and that really affected him, you know, on and off the field. Like, you know, for a guy who, you know, he's, English isn't his first language. Um, you know, he's not being able to spend time with his family pretty much at all because of COVID. Uh, and, you know, and then he had to play in three different parks you know, throughout the season. Um, yeah, I mean, I think there were a lot of things that weren't necessarily 100% baseball related that affected him. Uh, and I'm willing to give him another chance. He was really, really bad, though, when he got back to Toronto, you know, 679 ERA, um, did give up quite a few home runs. Uh, I think he will be better. I still have him as a top 40 starter, but a lot of it is kind of cutting him a lot of slack of, you know, not being able to kind of be the person, pitcher, family man that he wanted to be um, over the course. So it is a little bit narrative driven, and I don't like to be narrative driven. Uh, that being said, these are people too. Like, these are not like, you know, just numbers in a spreadsheet um, and right. things that are going on. I mean, imagine if you couldn't see your family for six months or a year, like how that would affect you, you know, just doing a desk job, much less having to pitch in front of tens of thousands of people every night. 
So yeah, definitely a factor. I, I meant to I meant to bring that up. Forgot to. So thanks for doing that because that's you know we didn't hear about that until after the mm-hmm. you know after the late either in the off season or very late in the season. But it was like oh man, you know absolutely I can see how that's a factor. And we've talked on the show previously about you know you got to factor in the stuff that happens outside the lines. Yeah, um, you know on the plus side, still doesn't walk people. Um, I think that home run rate will come down. The bat pip was pretty high in Toronto as well. So I think he's going to end up being a pretty solid bargain kind of going where he is, where I think Scooble is probably fairly adequately ranked by the market. So All right, uh, pretty, outside the top 200 right now, it's yeah. I mean, to me is I, I've already wow. ended up with him a few times. I have no problem continuing going back. Well, cause it's just, yeah, you know, if these, if the struggles continue, like you haven't had to invest a ton. But yeah. we all know that he does have the upside of like a top 20 guy. So um, that's exactly what I want to target at those points. Uh, moving on to uh, kind of faces, you know, old faces in new places uh, uh, with two guys. John Gray moving over to Los Angeles, getting out of Colorado finally. Uh, and people are getting excited about that. Steven Matz going to St. Louis on a four-year deal. Um, you know, people are getting pretty excited by that as well. Jason, who do you like out of these two guys? See, this is what I've been hinting at. I hate Steven Matz this year. Uh, and what? this is this is what I've been this is what I've been hinting at. Okay. Friendship over. Friendship yes, over. Yes, I know. Uh, so getting back to the same chart. All right, Steven Matz won 14 games last year. He did so with seven and a half run support per game last year. He had 31% of the starts as quality starts. He had seven cheap wins last year. When you look at, hey, how's a guy win 14? Then how's a guy win nine the next season? This is how it happens. I mean, he's got, he had so much go in his favor last year uh, with the run support. With like, if he gave up five, Toronto scored seven. He gave up six, they scored eight. You know, all of that kind of stuff happens. But to me, when you look at all the pitchers that won 14 games, and I tweeted out a chart of this earlier, Matt stands out like, how the hell did he end up on this list? Like if if you look at and on the the chart I tweeted out, you look at Zach Wheeler is probably staring at him uh, with a heavy dose of jealousy because you know, Zach Wheeler also won 14 games, but he had 3.3 runs of support uh, and he had he had a 63% quality start rate. So his quality start rate was more than double of Matt's. He got less than half the run support and they had the same amount of wins. Uh, and so this is where. You know, that's kind of where things worked out. Matt's was like the outlier on this as far as he got so much go his way and he fell into 14 wins versus like somebody like Wheeler who earned his 14, who should have had even more than that as we watched him pitch. But, you know, you add that onto the factor of Matt signing this deal, taking a new place. I want to fade Matt's everywhere. I, 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 I'm, my mind is blown. Like you, I, I, hey, I disagreement's could, good for this podcast. And besides yeah. now that we can actually project, I always want to say the wrong first name. Now that we can project John Gray for all of his starts, rather than just writing off half the season because he's a Colorado guy. I'm more excited about John Gray this year. I, I mean, but like, what are we going to get from John Gray? Like, because you know, you look at his career in Colorado, some seasons he was good in Colorado. Some seasons he was bad in Colorado. Some seasons he was great on the road. Some seasons he was awful on the road. Like, I just really don't know what I'm going to get from John Gray. He's definitely intriguing. I'm not, I'm not fading him by any stretch of the imagination, but I love Steven Matz. I mean, you're moving out of the AL East. You're into the NL Central against some of those teams. You, uh, you know, a great stadium to pitch in and Bush. Uh, what? 
arguably if you know arguably the best infield defense in baseball behind you as a ground ball pitcher um you know in spite of getting kind of an injury prone uh kind of label early uh, on in his uh career he's turned out to be a pretty durable guy like I think there's a ton to love about the opportunities for Steven Matz this year. I am blown away that you hate him so much. Corbin, be the tiebreaker here. <laughs> who do you prefer? So, uh, Remembering yeah. that I'm the one who invites people to podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> so let's start, let's start with John Gray, right? So yes, all of our birthday wishes came true. Finally, a Rockies pitcher left Coors Field. I'm really hoping for... Herman Marquez to do that next, but I don't know when that's going to happen. He might be like 35 years old by then. Um, so John Gray. Um, so I think it's just, we're looking at the skills, right? And we're looking at the park upgrade. Uh, you know, we know that Coors Field boosts BABIP, right? So it's like, he's just going from a, he, there should be an automatic kind of benefit there. Um, you know, I was a little worried he had an elbow injury John Gray did last year, uh, but the fastball velocity was about same or actually increased a little bit. Uh, skills improve. Um, pulse elbow injury. I don't know what to think about that, but skills did improve a little bit pulse elbow injury um, in terms of K minus BB rate. Um, and so just, I think there's just, and so the fastball's got pretty good horizontal movement. Um, I, I, I'm curious, I'm curious to kind of monitor some of the pitch movement stuff. Cause I felt like I've heard that like some of the pitch movement is different or something in course field or something like that. So I kind of want to monitor that. Um, but, you know, so I think assuming the four seamers got, you know, consistent kind of horizontal movement, you know, I think quality contact numbers should go down for him a little bit um, with the park upgrades. Sliders so good against strikeouts. Um, uh, you know, I think we're just buying in skills there. Steven Matz. Uh, yeah. Steven Matz is a weird, weird season. So, how does he go to Toronto and have one of his lowest home run rates of his career? I, I don't, I don't, or I mean, I know it wasn't all in Toronto, but how does he go to the Blue Jays and pitch in the AL East and then have the lowest home run rate of his career? That was like the most confusing thing I was looking at. Um, you know, uh, I, I feel like Matt is kind of safe. Um, he had a weird season, Matt said. I was kind of looking at like how he pitched in. Dunedin start off great, you know, pretty good. K minus EV rate, 19.3%, home run rate of 1.06, uh, boomed a little bit in Buffalo, ERA over five, home run rate increased to, um, and then he kind of finished the season strong in Toronto, 269 ERA, 126 whip, uh, home run rate of 0.75. Uh, K minus EV rate went to 13.8%. So it, weirdly, the skills kind of looked a little different, but it looked like he was just kind of relying on limiting Babbitt and uh, kind of stranding runners down the stretch. Um, again, park upgrade, right? Like we're just looking at that too. Uh, defense should be pretty good for the Cardinals as well. Um, he did gets a ton of ground balls. Uh, I, I probably want John Gray over Steven Matz, but, but, but I think there's a level of safety with Steven Matz. Um, but, but it, you know, I, 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 have run into this scenario before. I, I think like, I used to think that Kyle Hendricks was his really, really safe pitcher. So I think there's some risk there, right? Like we, we can't just be like, Oh, uh, there's a level of safety here with this guy. Um, and then, you know, if the skills aren't there to get strikeouts and stuff, it's like, what do we, what do we have? You know? So, um, I, I like a little bit of both, but I, I kind of overlooked Matt's last year until I dug in him. 
but uh yeah i'm i i i both of you. Both, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm just moving on. I'm moving on. I mean, uh, the, the the final point I would add is the Corbin was talking about the uh, the pitches perform. There's been there has been a lot written about how stuff the pitchers struggle. Obviously, with a guy like Gray, who's so well known for spinning his curveball and how it just acts differently at the altitude, and then going on the road and then coming back and trying to get used to it. Now that he doesn't have to worry about that, he's pitching in a controlled environment at home, and there shouldn't be that big disparity between how his stuff performs. I'm very excited about what what's possible because, you know, we, we've seen what he can do when everything's when everything's right. Uh, and in you know, the Texas situation, it's a better situation for him. He's got better defense behind him now. He doesn't have to worry about outfielders covering, you know, 10,000 acres of outfield grass and stuff blooping and falling in. So uh, I'm, I'm excited to see him when like I said, these guys are right next to each other uh, in ADP uh, with it. But if, when we get to that spot, <laughs> yeah, it's funny because Marquez, Mats, and Gray are one, two, three. They're right there in the in the pitcher ADP uh, with that. And of those three, please give me every share of Gray I can get. Yeah, I mean, I'm you know as much as I'm I'm you know uh, flabbergasted, uh, betrayed. I think maybe is the, is the correct word um, by your Gobsmacked. guys' it's slander of Stephen Matz. Uh, I actually like both, and I'm not opposed to getting both on, on as many teams as possible because I think both have the opportunity to be really, really interesting. I think I may have said John. I keep saying John Gray is going to LA like he's an angel, but he's he's going to Texas, uh, which is you know is proven to be one of the best parks in baseball to pitch in. So, uh, so that is very exciting. Don't know what the win potential is going to be like in Texas because while they added some pieces to that offense, they're still a really bad team, <laughs> I think. So, uh, especially in that bullpen, I think you know he's going to lose a lot of. You don't uh, believe in Joe Barlow? Come on, man. No, absolutely oh, not. Um, my favorite late season pickup, so I can keep it two dollars. We, you know, we uh, if we played the you know reliever and congressman, I could actually probably use like most of the Rangers bullpen oh, yeah. for that because they're just, it's a bunch of no names. Um, all right, let's, uh, let's move it right along and talk about Drew Rasmussen um, and Bailey over two guys who are getting a lot of kind of quote unquote sleeper buzz coming into 2022. And I think they both have interesting profiles. Corbin, what are your take on these two guys? Um, I mean, <clears throat> I obviously like Drew Rasmussen. Uh <laughs> Um, you know, props to Dave Swan, though. One of, one of my buddies there, he, you know, every once in a while we'll talk about just some guys. And then he's he's one of the guys who's like, hey, you know, looking at this guy. And I'm like, okay. And then you look at him, you're like, holy shit. Okay. You know, there's something here. There's something here. Um, so, you know, I, I guess I kind of pegged him more as like a reliever. But, you know, uh, stuff's really good. Sometimes struggles with command. Um, you know, really good ratios uh you know kind of both as a reliever and a starter um i think there's some concern you know you think like oh how many innings is he gonna go per start um he didn't i think he popped out of like five a few times so i think there's some of that risk there um again just stuff's really good i think stuff warrants taking him over bailey ober um you know in most spots there especially when you're what what do we like pick 250 ish or so like you know at, at this range here like you know this is where you're going to take a guy like rasmussen with some upside that could take that that leap um like freddie peralto which is kind of my theme in this one article but uh bailey ober you know i know people and, and maybe i'm completely wrong and i probably am but um bailey ober and joe ryan have like almost the same profile oh, it's it's like this 
like fastball heavy, like, and I know uh, JC probably have an argue for Joe Ryan or so, but uh, you know, just like, <laughs> uh, but you know, just like um, Bailey Oberidge is not super exciting profile, just kind of that fastball uh, heavy slider uh, approach there. Um, he's a big dude though, right? He's like six nine. Uh, stuff isn't overpowering, um, but he's still got a double-digit swing strike rate on three of the four pitches. Um, again, I'm looking for upside here, which I, I, I would be. I'd be going Drew Rasmussen over Bailey Ober, um, just kind of based on potential uh, or these skills that he, Rasmussen has over Bailey Ober. Jason, where are you at on these two guys? Yeah, I love Joe Ryan, by the way. Uh, and that was it, it pained me as much as I wanted to get Nelson Cruz. And I said this, I said it when we recorded the trade deadline thing last year. I loved finally getting Nelson Cruz. I hated what it cost to give him up. Uh, and but for me, Rasmussen was the guy that we were I was talking about earlier. It was interesting, and Corbin and I were trading uh, direct messages a couple days ago about this because he's such a Rasmussen's such a tough guy to get to understand. Because you got really, you got to kind of watch him pitch. And to me, what what made him unique is that he was just out there absolutely pounding the strike zone. He's basically two pitches. He's a, he's a fastball that he likes to, to run up high, uh, and he throws a lot of his slider, offsets a little bit with a curveball. But he is basically working that high and low, and just attacking the zone and forcing the action on the hitters. One of the I looked up some numbers. He had one of the highest, uh, one of the, I'm sorry, not highest, one of the best pitches per plate appearances. Uh, once he became a starting pitcher, uh, which was about, I think, August 8th on, but he had one of the better pitches per plate appearances because he attacked and forced the action. In, in a league where guys are, are can, you know, your disciplined hitters are going to sit back and not chase, take the walk, like he was forcing them to, hey, it's swing. Here's a strike. Here's something in the zone. Here's something in the zone. Do something. And he's really just trusting the defense behind him, which who can blame him. He has a good defense behind him. Uh, but that's how he would come out. And if I look at how he's going to be used, I, I would have the concerns about him not staying deep in the games. But if they're going to continue to use the opener, he's a great candidate. Let somebody come out and just get the first couple. Okay, rest of us and go out there and and give us uh, give us four quality innings. Give us five. He doesn't have the repertoire to go deep into a game. Uh, he did try to play around with the changeup last year, but he barely used it. I don't think it sticks around. But the approach he had last year, the way he attacked, at least it worked in the regular season. Now, in the postseason, wasn't as great uh, with that. And we'll have to see where that goes. But I, 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 I have a tough time quantifying what I believe he can do because the approach is so unique. It's like, here's two things. Neither of these pitches are fantastic, but the approach is unique because it, it, we're not waiting for the chase. He's getting ahead. And, and we've talked about the importance of the 1-1 pitch and the swing and OPS after that. He's getting that 1-1 pitch quickly. He's not wasting time. Uh, and that's what I enjoy about watching him pitch as a real guy. As, as a fantasy guy, I, I, I don't really know um, how to get excited about it because it could go either way. It could go like you're going back to the bullpen. Uh, or if he's used with an opener, it can come out like when, when Ryan Yarbrough won, what, 14, 15 games in a similar approach until it didn't work for him anymore either. But, you know, Ryan Yarbrough can't live in the strike zone. He was one of the guys that had to start painting it. And once he lost his ability to paint, he lost his effectiveness. Uh, whereas Rasmussen has more of that, that up-down approach that Tampa Bay likes to develop that Yarbrough can't do because he just lacks the velocity um, to spin that pitch up there. So to me, I'm not trying to play homer, uh, but I want to see what else is here uh, with that. I Frankly, I've only seen over pitch once when I look at the profile. I, I'm just not excited about what's there. 
Um, but when you say Joe Ryan, you also have my interest because I was very much in on Joe Ryan and the invisible this time last year saying, take a reserve round pick on him, stash him, uh, not knowing that he was going to go to the Olympics. If he had not gone to the Olympics, he probably would have been up earlier and would have been even more valuable fantasy stretch because he would have pitched half the year. Uh, but once, once they had him on the track for the Olympics, Tampa Bay did not move him up. Uh, and then he was obviously traded uh, on July 30th. Yeah, I'm going to sweep it here because I'm, I'm really, really uh, intrigued by Drew's Rasmussen. Um, it, one of the, sometimes, like, you have to write an article uh, or you, you write an article and you, uh, you kind of stumble across something, and that's kind of what it was with me and Rasmussen. He was someone I didn't really give much credit to. One, I didn't know if he was going to be in the rotation because – uh, you know, the way Tampa Bay runs things there. They have so many arms, young arms right now. Uh, but he was really, really, really good. Uh, does a great job about uh, of getting uh, guys to uh, hit the ball on the ground uh, into that defense, which is pretty darn good behind him. Uh, limits home runs. Uh, and I think he had, I mean, you know, unfortunately for Shane Boz, I think he has a leg up right now on an opening day rotation spot. I would not be surprised if, if Boz is not in that rotation to start the year and goes back down to AAA. Um, and I think he's just a really, really intriguing guy going way later than a lot of these other Tampa Bay young arms. Um, and so for that, I'm not in on Bailey Ober. I, I, there are a lot of really smart uh, people in the industry who are like pumping Bailey Ober. But again, I don't really like what they're doing in, um, in Minnesota. The, you know, it's it's kind of – I don't really understand what they're doing, really. Uh, but it seems like they're kind of stuck in between a rebuild and a Building competitive a softball team. team. Yeah, I, I don't – you know, I, I don't know what that defense is going to really be behind them. I know the outfield defense should be pretty good, so that's always helpful. But, um, yeah, I just – I can't seem to buy in on the skills of Bailey Ober. So, I think it's, it's pretty easily. And if you look at my ranks, I want to say I have Drew Rasmussen – Da, 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 and I can't even find him. I have him as my number 63 starting pitcher. I Bailey Ober is my 97th starting pitcher. So it's it's a pretty huge gap uh, coming into the year. Yeah, and I think even if you put in, uh, you noted the other like raised pitchers going earlier. I mean, even like uh, I look at like someone like Tanner Hawk, right? Like mm-hmm. wh- wh- why is Tanner Hawk going, you know, almost, you know, 60, 70 picks earlier than Drew Rasmussen when – I, you can get a guy like Drew Rasmussen where maybe the role is up in there too, like Hauk, but skills are there. So, uh, and I love Hauk. Like, I love this. I love what we, we've seen from Hauk. I think he'd be really, really good starting pitcher. But is he a starting pitcher for the Red Sox? I mean, they keep bringing in all these other arms with, um, you know, they still have Pineda. Or, sorry, not Pineda. Pivetta. Um, there's a little uh, Freudian slip right there. Um, they still have Pavetta. They bring in Michael Walker. They bring in Rich Hill. Like, are you know they kind of dicked him around between starting and relieving all throughout the season last year. Like, I, as much as I, I like Halk and I think he will find his way into the rotation at some point, I feel much more confident that Rasmussen is going to get a shot at the rotation early on in the season, and that's what I'm going to be drafting. Um, let's uh, let's get to the big moment. The big moment, the guy that I wanted to talk to Corbin about is Jesus Lutardo, Uh, because he, uh, he he wrote something that is, is very intriguing. I want you to turn me around on him. I've not 
I've I've kind of faded Lizardo because of his price in recent years. Now the price isn't attached. Uh, he's much much cheaper. You know, now in Miami, which is still a pretty good place to pitch, um, I am still pretty skeptical that he's going to be able to put it all together this year. Uh, versus Luis Patino, who again another one of these race pitchers with really really intriguing upside. Uh, but we don't know what the role is necessarily going to be because Tampa Bay is Tampa Bay. So, Corbin, sell me on Lazardo versus Patino. All right. How much time do I have to convince you, Justin, about his no, it's just as much time <laughs> as you need? Uh, no, I, yeah, it started when I heard um, on the Friends with Fantasy Vendors pod, you, you'd say, like, oh, I'm out on Lazardo. And I was like, whoa, 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 out on Lazardo. And I was like, I got to chime in here. It's like uh, kind of joking. Uh, but no, really. So the Marlins have been pretty good about helping pitchers improve their changeup. Uh, you know, if we look at Sandy Alcantara, if, uh, the the changeup usage going up from 12% in 2019 to over 23% in 2021, uh, results kind of followed there. Uh, I know Pablo Lopez has always kind of been a changeup guy, but that also increased as well. Um, you know, health aside with Pablo Lopez there. Um, and, and just when I, so when we talk about like pitching prospects, I think, you know, we know this, but like, uh, you know, growth isn't linear. Right. And so you're looking at a guy that has, has, you know, came up, went down, had some injuries. He kind of bounced around with Oakland. Um, so you just, you look at the BABIP and the left on base rate, like it's just awful. Like, so, you know, like uh, he's got, he's just ran into some terrible misfortune. Um, it's a small sample and the results didn't follow, but I, I don't care about the results not following in that small sample, but you look at when he went to the Marlins. So with, with Oakland, he was just, he relied on the fastball just under 60% of the time. And then he went to the Marlins and he dropped the fastball to 46% and then up the slider usage. Um, now the results were awful. The ERA was still over six. The whip was over 1.6. You know, the K minus VB was below 10% bad, you know? So, um, but again, I, I'm kind of just looking at that and you're like, you're saying with the price rate, like he's going like around pick 300, um, stuff's always been great with Luzardo, uh, above average stuff in the slider and change up. I think the, the change up could get even better. Uh, you're looking at the Babip and Shan rate, definitely regressing. Um, and Luzardo has the prospect pedigree and, uh, you know, it's still a small sample. Like he really hasn't even pitched. It, it might feel like he's been around for that long, but he really hasn't been around for that long. It just in terms of major league. Um, you know, he's totaled uh, just over 166 innings uh, across three seasons. So I think there's um, definitely some, he's kind of my number one pick for kind of a Freddie Peralta type breakout um, is what I wrote in that article. Uh, and again, just you're taking a gamble here around pick 300. Um, <clears throat> that doesn't mean I don't like Luis Patino, right? Like Luis Patino's got... Um, Pretty good movement on the four-seamer. Uh, gets, you know, pretty good, decent amount of whiffs there. Good results. Kind of kind of uses that four-seamer slider approach. Um, so if I'm looking at both, I'm probably going Lazardo because I apparently already planted my flag on Jesus Lazardo. But, but I'm not opposed to, like, uh, a Luis Patino as well, right? Because I think both of those guys have similar... Um, potential for growth and strikeout upside uh especially at that adp is, is kind of where i'd be taking those gambles to 
look for that person to take that leap. Um, and, you know, even if Patino's, you know, and at that point it's like one of those where like, you know, if I, if I hold on for a little bit and I cut, like it's no big deal. And this is where I'm going to take that, a guy that could take that massive leap. Jason. You know, I'm kind of surprised looking at these, looking at these two ADP wise, you know, Lazardo is just inside the top 300 to 299. And let's not forget, he was 105 this time last year. That's how far his star fell. He was, he was right around the top. I saw him going in the, in the 90, in the nineties. And I think he was 105 overall. Uh, and so that, that's just kind of crazy to me uh, how much he's fallen. The Patino, he is, he's going 316. He's gone as high as 220, as low as 402. Lazardo was high as 249, but only as low as 350. But if you look at last year, obviously Patino showed so much more. Uh, and but to me, I'm also very excited about uh, where Lazardo is for a couple of things. You know, like one, you know, he goes from the West Coast to back home. He's from South Florida. Now he's pitching in Miami, so it's one of those outside the lines uh, types of things. He, you know, he changed his repertoire up a little bit, not so reliant upon his fastball. Uh, was incorporating more of, of a slider uh, when he made the switch over to Miami. Uh, you know, the overall numbers don't show it, but if you go back and look, like his final outing of the season was against Philadelphia. He struck out 11 uh, in that. And you looked at, you walk, go back and watch that game, you're like, oh, yeah, that's what he's capable of. Uh, and so it's, it's when you see a guy that was in the top 100 that's now down, the, that's down here uh, around 300. It's like it's tough not to want to get right back in because it's we're only a year removed from loving him so much. We were taking him in the seventh round. Now you have the opportunity to almost take him at the twenty-first round. Please let me you know, bring it, bring me back in. And that's again no slight on Patino, who I do like, um, who's got nice has a nice uh, circumstance situation around him as well. Uh, but to me, if I'm looking for a guy that I I can get more work out of. To me, that's going to be Lazardo this year, uh, and I, I want back in uh, for a lot of similar reasons. This is one of the reasons why when you're like, hey, who do you want to host or have on a co-host? I wanted Corbin because there's been so many things that he's been writing about of lately uh, lately that I think he's hacked my computer uh, or some of the conversations because it's like the same thing. We've been on the same wavelength with with certain players with certain things, uh, and like the I mentioned DMing earlier with uh, with Rasmussen because I gave him another name to look at. And he goes, it's funny because I have that guy down as well uh, because it's there's been so much what I've been reading, uh, like even something as uh, similar as Cesar Hernandez. I talked about him as a guy. I go the next day I'm looking at something. He has Cesar Hernandez written up. And I was like, okay, I haven't even written anything. All I've done is talk about him. He's bugged my mic. I know this. Yeah. Uh, so that's that's one of the reasons why. Uh, it, yeah, it I'm, was, I'm a Lazardo guy here. It was funny because we recorded episode 1000 and then we had to sit on it for, you know, four or five days. Yeah. Uh, so that way Paul and I could, you know, record episode uh, 999. And you had a few guys who, like, you had talked about on that episode that Corbin then wrote up. Um, and you, like, sent me to my mic. like, Corbin bugged my mic. He was listening. <laughs> he, had, he had to know. <laughs> that, that's funny because I thought the same thing. Like, because I, I heard that it was delayed, like, a few days. And, like, mm-hmm. I, I literally texted someone. I was like, dude, I just... I just put this guy, I wrote this guy up over the weekend and it's like the day or two when they, they recorded, but it came out later. Yep. Yeah. So, uh, you know, you guys have me pushing Lazardo back up. You know, one of the things we haven't really talked about is Lazardo's injury history though, because Lazardo has had 
like some of it's been fluky, right? The video game thing where he breaks his pinky, uh, throwing like a remote ki- r- r- uh, a controller or yeah. whatever it was. Um, you know, I you know I'll let that one go. But I mean, he's had elbow issues, he's had shoulder issues um, that have not been addressed surgically. Um, the the nice thing about moving from Oakland to Miami, because I mean, I think the park change is whatever, right? Um, and now the DH is going to be in the National League, so it's not like, oh, I get, he gets to face the pitcher. Um, the nice thing is Miami doesn't baby their pitchers. They let them go, um, in injury or not, right? They just they, they let their guys go deep into games. They let them pitch. Um, so I do like that. And, I mean, I see the upside, obviously. I also see the five walks per nine that he had once he moved to Miami. Um, and that his home run rate is still sometimes a problem because he loses command within the zone. Yeah. Um, well, I remember he was I, playing around with his repertoire a little bit yeah. uh, there, too. And I'll give you like one number I didn't bring up, but it really stood out to me when I dove into Lazardo research. When the batter was ahead on him, the league hit 387 and slug 757 when they were ahead. And that, to me, is because it was like, here comes fastball. Uh much like the school ball, but everything else, like in an even count, the league hit 210 off him and slug 413. When he was, when the pitcher was ahead, 264 and 442. So it's like you look for the areas of opportunity for him, don't fall behind in so many counts. <laughs> That's really what it comes down to. And it's, he, so he can be in that one skill away group where if he can just, you know, not pitch uh, pitch more efficiently, he could take a significant leap forward. Uh, you, Corbin's mentioned Freddie Peralta a couple of times. Go back and look at old Freddie Peralta before Milwaukee put him through the uh, the pitching uh, lab, and that was Freddie Peralta's problem. You know, was pitching too much, too much frequently from behind, and then last year his numbers were ungodly. It's just it's it's been so much fun as a fan of Freddie Peralta because I got on him once he made the he started working on the the new slider shape uh, in the Dominican. I was like, okay, I'm in, this is what I want to see. And then he just took that nice leap forward. And then last year was just so amazing uh, with how everything has all come together uh, with that. But I'm not saying Lazardo could be this year's Freddie Peralta, but if you look at that batter ahead and how often he was pitching behind the account and how batters were able to just sit back and tee off that there's his area of improvement. And that's what you want to focus on. Um, you know, when you take him again, he right now he's you know pitcher 108 off the board, uh, and with going just inside the, the 300 right there in front of Justin's favorite pitcher, Andrew Heaney. That's where he sits. Uh, so if, if you if you miss out on this year's Robbie Ray, you can go on, uh, you know, maybe this year's Freddie Peralta. Yeah. Um, and I, I have moved him up actually, uh, fun, uh, funny enough, um, to pitcher 108. So I like, I'm right there at the market, I guess, now. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm getting back in. I'm still a little tentative. Uh, and I, I really like Luis Patino. I, th- I think Luis Patino has a real opportunity to be this year's kind of uh, Freddie Peralta and break out. Love that he's pitching um, in that in that park now that they're not going to split time in Montreal. <laughs> that, that was ever going to happen. Yeah, no, I was yeah. looking. It was, it was funny, though, when I was looking. We talk about the confusion about how to handle Tampa Bay pitchers. And for the most part, there are four pitchers by ADP that are inside the top 300 for Tampa Bay. McClanahan at 113, Boz at 142, Rasmussen at 281, and then Kittredge right at 300. That's it. Everybody else is outside. So Patino, as much as we watch a pitcher, like, wow, 316. Kluber, 367. And then there's nobody else inside the top 500. The rest of their pitchers are all the way down there. 
but you look at profitability, like where could somebody take a jump? Maybe it's out of here with when you have 14 pitchers on that roster that are outside the top 500. There's some room for op- uh, opportunity there. Yeah, I mean, Patino being kind of the cheapest of those uh, non kluber esque guys, because uh, we've already I've already discussed. I'm not I'm not, I'm not going back to the well on Kluber. Uh, I think there's you go off the lo- I go off to Kluber, and then at the end of the a- season, one of us can go ha ha. Yeah, I'm sure I'm sure one of us will. Okay. Uh, let's uh, let's finish out with uh, uh, Josiah Gray versus Tyler Miguel. Miguel's a guy that I'm again being kind of talked into by a number of people uh, that I trust within the industry. Um, I'm a little worried that the Mets will go and get another starting pitcher after things open back up. That being said, everybody on the Mets rotation has some sort of injury uh, concerns or red flags. Uh, Jason, who, where are you at on Miguel versus Josiah Gray, who I love? Uh, Miguel or Miguel, I don't know how it's pronounced. Uh, I mean, for me, Last year was the, uh, the what stands out to me was the issues against lefties, but it was you know one issue. But he got blasted, blasted uh, by left-handed hitters, uh, and that's where it was problematic. But I guess the problem for me is I'm going to have blinders on because I love Josiah Gray. Uh, I have seen him pitch in the minor leagues. I have seen him pitch in the major leagues. I have watched uh, some of his stuff. I have heard his interviews uh, with Pitching Ninja. I this is one of my favorite young pitchers, and so this is probably I have blinders on for this. Uh, but I want Josiah Gray here. Uh, he's somebody that I put in my. It's funny because I have both Luzardo and Gray in my NLEs both prediction series at Rotowire. Uh, but I put some uh, some of the clips of what Gray's stuff can look like, and this was when he was pitching with the Nationals, so it was very recent. But you can see what what he's able to do with his stuff, and it's it's really good. Um, he's going to have challenges with pitching in you know pitching for a, a team that's not going to be in contention. Uh, and that's simply, that's certainly going to hurt his fantasy value. Whereas McGill, if he stays in rotation, will have a better would have better circumstances around him uh, to take advantage of that. But like upside wise, I go watch some gray film and you'll see what I'm talking about. I really like this kid. The problem is uh, market value seems to like him as well too. Because when I was looking at him, he's going in front of some of the guys we've already talked about. I mean, he's he's 106. So he's going uh, 10 picks in front of Lazardo. He's going 10 picks in front of Heaney. He's going 30 picks in front of Patino. Uh, and if I'm drafting purely from a fantasy perspective, like Gray is the last guy that I want there just because of his circumstances aren't as fortunate as everybody else. His stuff, fine. Um, but you've got to factor in some of those other things. And that's where I'm I'm, I'm down on Gray. But yeah, if he were still with the Dodgers instead of being included in that trade, I'd be super excited about him this year rather than just, hey, this is my my last win on this podcast before I go back to sleep type of uh, defense of Gray. <laughs> Corbin, do you have a more full-throated defense of Gray or are you uh, in on – and I've blanked on who that taught me. Miguel. Yeah, no, I think both guys uh, struggled with home runs this year. Uh, you know, Josiah Gray, that's kind of was his issue, especially down the stretch or, or like season long. At least it was like 2.42 home runs for nine. The triple A last year is like 1.72 home runs for nine. Um, I think that's going to regress. Uh, stuff's really good to just really, really good breaking pitches. Um, Tyler McGill. So I, I went in the season. I was like, oh, I'm interested in Tyler McGill. Uh, I wrote him up. But then it's like after digging into him a little more, I'm like, 
less excited. I'm not like super, I'm still excited, but just not like, I'm not expecting like a massive, massive leap, I think here. Um, another guy that also struggled with, uh, with home run rate of kind of in the final like a uh, month or so, it kind of went up for like almost doubled uh, three home runs per nine, which is bad. <laughs> um, but so I think uh, there's been people that have been saying like, well, McGill might not have a rotation spot if the Mets bring someone else in. And so that's kind of made me a little more lukewarm. And then also just looking at just like the general skills, like the skills are decent for McGill uh, with the changeup in the slider. Um, but yeah, there's so many pitchers here. I prefer Josiah Gray just kind of in terms of more locked in row and the better stuff. Um, but there's so many pitchers here that we've just talked about. Like, I like I know I can't get all of them, but yeah, I want like Josiah Gray. I want Drew Rasmussen. I want, uh, you know, Jesus Lazardo. I want Luis Patino. Like, how, how do I land all of them? I don't know, but <laughs> I want like I'll, I'll share. You wait until the 14th right round to draft your first pitcher. How's that? <laughs> uh, this, this is why auctions are so much fun, right? Because like I think. If you're one of the people that don't that that don't like to spend on starting pitching, like this is the year you could potentially build a pretty interesting and fun rotation um, with a bunch of like five dollar, seven dollar pitchers, um, and uh, and I think I may try that in the league or two uh, this year uh, because there are like these guys like uh, Josiah Gray, like I think he is really really interesting. McGill is a guy that I'm, and I, I can't remember which way is the right way to pronounce his name either. So I'm going to go back and forth. Um, that I was kind of out on coming in, and but there's so many people who are in on him that it's made me go back and kind of reevaluate. I still do worry, one, like I said, that the, the Mets go and sign another starter to kind of help bolster that rotation. However, like I mentioned kind of at the outset, um, you know, Carrasco, Taiwan Walker, DeGrom, Scherzer uh, are all guys with varying size red flags in terms of health right now. So, like, I think there's going to be a role, even if it's not at the start of the season for McGill in the rotation. Um, but I do wonder if there's going to be some pretty ugly moments, especially start to start, that may be frustrating with a guy who gives up that much, uh, that many home runs. So I mean, he gave up uh, 13 home runs in 39 innings versus lefties. Yeah, that's that's not going to work, especially in that division. So uh, for me, it's, uh, it's pretty easy uh, to go with Josiah Gray, who, well, yeah, he does have uh, some homer issues of his own. I really, really think he has a ton of upside. Um, he's a really smart pitcher, and he is locked into a rotation spot given the the state of that rotation. That's true in Washington. Like I, I feel like he he I can easily pencil him in for, as a full time guy to start the year. So uh, it's it's Josiah Gray, and it's not particularly close for me. That is going to do it for this episode of the Sleeper in the Bus. Corbin, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Good chatting, pitchers, and everything in between here. I really appreciate it. Something I was looking forward to all week after uh, kind of a other day job, rough, rough week there. So appreciate it, guys. Well, we appreciate you coming on. Remind everybody where you can reach on social media and plug anything you got going on. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at, at Corbin underscore Young21. Um, I mean, I write at about 35 different places right now, mm -hmm. uh, but trying to, in terms of baseball stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah in terms of baseball stuff i'll have a 
probably three more pitchers that kind of fit uh hopefully break out pitcher mold uh that we haven't talked about today um and that's kind of at least the only thing that's on my radar here but yeah fan, baseball at fantasy baseball at fan tracks uh fantasy data and a little bit at fantasy pros too all right jason where can you reached and what are you working on so uh on twitter jason colette working on the the bold prediction series the nl east one went up uh the other day at rotowire the al central one should go live tomorrow um and the, i'll just to tell you the 10 names and not what the predictions are but I've got notes on Eloy Jimenez, Dylan Cease, uh, Andres Jimenez, Tristan McKenzie, Riley Green, and Water Rodriguez, Whit Merrifield, who I say won't be a top 60 player this year, uh, Carlos Hernandez, Luis Arias, and Jorge Alcala. And I'm not going to spoil why, uh, but you should go read why I say Whit Merrifield won't be a top 60 guy this year. I will That's go why read they're called that. bold predictions. Uh, but those are the 10 guys that I have. Uh, and uh, looking forward to that. And I've already um into the uh what's next the uh ALS? no the uh yeah the nl central that's the one i'm currently working on and so i've got uh preview of names on that one clint frazier cody hewer jose barrero uh louis sessa willie adamas aaron ashby anthony alford miguel yahure paul de young and steven matz i bet you can guess what i say about matz <laughs> <laughs> yeah not i will read that one i'm not looking forward to reading your slander um you can reach me on twitter at just amazing fwfb uh i'm writing pretty much daily over at fan graphs uh, at this point i think my um i'm gonna do a catcher update in terms of my ranks uh, going on the site uh, tomorrow on Monday, and then I believe I'm going to be doing some ADP market updates uh, the rest of the week uh, and probably into the following week as well. So um, kind of tracking those all off season. Uh, then, yeah, you can hear me on the Friends of Fantasy Benefits podcast, uh, obviously Sleeping the Bus podcast, and then uh, the TGFBI podcast, which should be starting either next uh, restarting next week or the week after i've got a little bit of dental surgery i'm going to be doing next week so i don't know how much i'm going to be wanting to talk in the mic that would be fun yeah uh take better care of the teeth kids you don't want to end up like me um so uh with that uh for corbett jason myself thank you for listening have a fantastic baseball season